This is episode 442 of the AWS podcast, released on May 9, 2021. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Leach here with you. Great to have you back. And I am joined by Nikki Stone. G'day, Nikki. How are you doing? Good. So glad to be back. It's good to have you back. You've been through a, a, a journey of uh, interesting uh, issues that we won't delve into on the podcast, but let's just say uh, if you want data on immunizations, you're the person to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> For real. <laughs> just happy to be here. Happy to be here alive and well. Yes, exactly. Well, it wouldn't be the same without having it on the show. Now, before we get into some of the updates, there's an event I wanted to point out to our listeners because I know many of you are in the region, the AWS online summit for Australia and New Zealand is coming up. It's on the 18th and 19th of May, 2021. And it has a great lineup of activities. There are over 90 educational sessions. There's hands-on content, live chat, the partner solution zone, the deep racer league, the community zone, and also a training and certification area. And there's lots of great information to to get hold of and lots of great customer speakers, including folks from the Commonwealth Bank, Nestle Oceania, KO, and Silicon Quantum Computing. The other great thing is that you can choose which day to come to based upon your experience. So if you're new to the cloud, then Tuesday the 18th of May is the date for you. And if you're an experienced person in terms of cloud stuff, then Wednesday the 19th of May gives you a lot more dive deep and advanced sessions. So check it out, adbs.amazon.com forward slash events slash summits slash online slash ANZ. But let's get into all the updates. And Nikki, let's start with uh, AWS Marketplace, shall we? Yeah. So uh, in the topic of AWS Marketplace, third-party software built for AWS Control Tower is now available in the AWS Control Tower console and then is powered by AWS Marketplace. So customers can now discover a curated collection of third-party software built for AWS Control Tower from within the Control Tower console. You can choose from professional services and software solutions, including identity management, security for a multi-account environment, centralized networking, operational intelligence, security information and event management, cost management, or offerings for customized guardrails, account factory, regulatory, compliance solutions, and enterprise-specific solutions like IoT or data lakes. Uh, So you can explore that today in your control tower console. Very cool. Moving on to the topic of analytics, and there are a bunch of really cool updates. And one of my favorites is the general availability of Amazon Redshift native JSON and semi-structured data support. So this is generally available with the new data type, which is now my new favorite named data type called Super. (laughs) I mean, how cool is it to use a data type? Okay, I I choose to activate Super. Uh, This allows you to ingest and store semi-structured data in your Amazon Redshift data warehouse. And it also now includes support for particle, party, QL, which is the SQL compatible access to relational semi-structured and nested data. And for all those people I've pestered for years, learn SQL, you can thank me now. Um, now, using the new super data type is really, really a new interesting way of managing data. So the super data type is schemaless in nature. It allows for storage of nested values that could consist of redshift scalar values, nested arrays, or other nested structures. And it's Amazon Redshift supports the passing of JSON data into super and up to five times faster insertion of JSON slash super data in comparison to doing it in the classic scalar columns. 
So it gives you lots more capability, functionality, and performance, a whole bunch of other cool stuff about it, but it is now available in all commercial regions. And Redshift was very busy this month. They did lots of stuff. They have now announced support for hierarchical data queries with recursive CTE, which is recursive common table expression. Uh, and this is really useful for querying hierarchical data like org charts, et cetera, where one reports to another, to another, et cetera. The thing that scares me most about this is one of the things I loathed at university well back in the day was recursion. <laughs> it broke my brain and it's here. So if you love recursion, you're going to love that particular capability. There's also now a preview of cross-account data sharing for Redshift. So you can now share live transactionally consistent data across different Redshift clusters without the complexity and delays of data copies and movement. This is huge if you're interested in data sharing. And there is now also the availability, general availability, I should say, of Amazon Redshift native console integration with partners. So with this integration, you can speed up your onboarding of data and create solutions and insights within minutes with select partners. You just launch the wizard and away you go. You see all the partners at launch. Fully integrated partners are Data Corral, ET Leap, Fivetran, Informatica, and SnapLogic. And also available are preview partners, Matillions, Sysense, and Stitch, and a whole bunch of others on the way. It's awesome. Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics for Apache Flink has introduced custom maintenance windows in preview. So Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics periodically patches the underlying infrastructure of applications with OS container image security updates to meet compliance and security goals during the default maintenance windows in each region. And you can use the update application maintenance configuration via the CLI or the API to choose your preferred maintenance window start times for an application. So maintenance for your application might occur at any time during the maintenance window. However, the downtime experience by your app will be in the tens of seconds when the application status changes to maintenance. Actual downtime, of course, depends on your application state, and Kinesis Data Analytics for Apache Flink will automatically recover application state from the latest checkpoint or snapshot. So that's an awesome little update, and Amazon MSK has added support for two different Apache Kafka versions. They've first added support for version 2.6.2, which includes several bug fixes and security fixes, and replaces 2.6.1 as the default recommended version for new clusters created. And they also added support for version 2.8.0, which also includes several bug fixes and new features that improve performance. Some of the key features include connection rate limiting to avoid problems with misconfigured clients and topic identifiers, which provides performance benefits. There's also an early access feature to replace the zookeeper with a self-managed metadata quorum However, it's not recommended, of course, for use in production yet. And then, of course, you can find an entire list of improvements and bug fixes in their release notes. AWS Glue now supports client authentication for Apache Kafka streams. So streaming ETL jobs in Glue will now support SSL client certificate authentication with Apache Kafka stream producers, and you can now provide a custom certificate while defining a Glue connection to an Apache Kafka cluster, which Glue will use when authenticating with it. Glue was also very busy. There's a few more announcements here. AWS has announced the data sync capability for Glue connectors. So AWS Glue custom connectors make it easy for customers to transfer data between SaaS applications, cross-cloud data stores, AWS services, data warehouses, custom data sources, and of course, Amazon S3. 
and they've uh, they've announced the availability of this data sync capability that allows customers to use bi-directional connectors as both source and destination. And this data sync capability is also supported on Glue Studio, which enables you to do this without writing any code, which is awesome. AWS Glue Databrew has announced native console integration with Amazon AppFlow to connect to data from SaaS applications and AWS services in preview. Uh, so you can connect data from applications like Salesforce, Zendex, Slack, ServiceNow, and tens of other SaaS applications and AWS services like S3 and Redshift. Um, and just it's as easy as when you get started, you create a new data set in Databrew, and then you can pick from a list of pre-configured flows from AppFlow that load data into S3 or create a new flow. And then the transfer data has to be in S3 before you can use it as an input for Databrew. And then you can clean and normalize this data in Databrew and, of course, you know, do a host of other methods to that data like join, union, aggregate, and combine from other data sorts with SaaS applications. Very nifty. Amazon Elasticache now supports publishing Redis logs to Amazon CloudWatch logs and Kinesis data firehose. So now you can continuously monitor the performance of the operations of your Redis cluster, which is very, very nice. Amazon Elastic Search Service has announced support for version 7.1.0. It's a minor release with bug fixes and enhancements, but one of the things I like is it improves indexing speed by up to 20% for certain use cases and provides more space-efficient indices through higher compression of stored fields. So that is pretty nifty. Amazon Elastic Search Service also has now got support for asynchronous search. So this lets you submit a query that gets executed asynchronously, monitor the progress of the request and retrieve results at a later stage. You can also retrieve partial results as they become available even before the search is fully completed, which is great for some of those massive searches that people end up doing. And once the search completes, it can be stored for consumption at a later time up to an expiry duration. This is a great one if you're showing off your elastic search skills to say something like, here's one I prepared earlier, and then you pull out the results of the query. <laughs> Moving on to the topic of application integration, Amazon SNS now supports setting attributes required for India DLT requirements when sending SMS using local routes in India. So now when using SNS to send SMS to your customers, you can set a principal entity ID and a message template ID as Amazon SNS message attributes. And these new message attributes will help you comply with new telecom regulation in India specifically the Telecom Authority of India, which now mandates the use of principal entity ID and message template ID when sending SMS to Indian phone numbers. As per the regulation, companies that operate in India and send SMS for commercial purposes must register their brand as the principal entity along with their message templates using the distributed ledger technology portal provided by VIL Power. If you're in India, that's an awesome update for you. Amazon SNS has also grown the set of message filtering operators uh, that let you simplify your message architecture by offloading message filtering logic from your subscriber systems as well as routing logic from your publisher systems. And the matching operators that they have launched are exist false. So you can use this operator to deliver only the messages that don't carry the specified attribute key. Then they have anything but with a prefix. And you can use this operator to deliver only the messages that carry an attribute with the specified key and whose string value does not start with the given prefix. And then they have CIDR, which you can use this operator to deliver only the messages that carry an attribute with a specified key and whose string value matches IP addresses in the provided network. 
That uh, anything but uh, filter sounds like something that would be useful in day-to-day life yes. <laughs> as well. Just, what a great filter that one is. Uh, moving on to the topic of business applications, Amazon Chime SDK now supports video prioritization policies. So the Chime SDK, if you don't know about it, uh, for JavaScript now gives you a way to prioritize streams based upon the online meeting use case. So if there's insufficient bandwidth to download all available video streams, the SDK uses the video prioritization policy to maximize the fidelity and quality of high priority video streams. So things like if you've got a class and you've got the instructor's video and the participants, obviously you'd prefer the instructor to take priority versus the participants if things drop down. Very cool way of uh, managing what can sometimes be a constrained resource, which is bandwidth. The other update is Alexa for Business is now available on Zoom Rooms appliances. So customers with voice act, uh, customers running those Zoom Room appliances, I should say, can uh, now have voice activated control without deploying additional hardware. So it's a touch-free way to interact, which in these strange times we live in has become even more important. It's awesome. Moving on to the topic of compute, AWS Nitro Enclaves now supports the Windows operating system. Uh, so this supports the creation of isolated compute environments called enclaves from parent EC2 instances running the Windows operating system. The Nitro Enclaves further isolates the CPU and memory of the Enclave from users, apps, and libraries on the parent EC2 instance. Prior to this release, you could only do this on Linux, so now you have it on Windows. If that is of interest to you, AWS Launch Wizard now supports SAP deployments with SUSE Linux Enterprise Server 15 SP2 and RHEL 8.2. So the Launch Wizard now allows customers to deploy SAP workloads uh, using SUSE Linux Enterprise Server 15 SP2 and Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8.2. And then obviously the Wizard offers tons of ways to configure and size and deploy those AWS resources. Amazon EC2 enables replacing root volume for quick restoration and troubleshooting. Uh, So they've announced the Replace Root Volume feature that enables customers to replace the root volume for a running instance. The feature restores the root volume of an instance to its launch state or to a specific snapshot without stopping the instance, which allows customers to fix issues such as root volume corruption or guest operating system network configuration errors while retaining instance store data, networking, and IIM configuration. That's a really neat one. Yeah, that's that's really cool. That's that's not easy to do. No. Um, speaking <laughs> speaking of EC2, EC2 Image Builder now supports autoscaling launch templates. So this lets you create a new version of your EC2 autoscaling launch template that references your latest AMI. Uh, using Image Builder Pipeline, you can now easily create these launch template versions with the latest AMI to be used across all your AWS regions. So this makes it a lot easier to get up and running. There is also now the availability of a Red Hat Linux with high availability for Amazon EC2. So you can get the scale performance and elasticity of EC2 with the RHEL for HA experience that you want in your environment. Amazon ECS on AWS Fargate now allows you to configure the size of ephemeral storage for your tasks. So you can now configure it up to a maximum of 200 gigabytes. And as a reminder, all ephemeral storage on AWS Fargate continues to be encrypted by default with service managed keys. 
AWS Lambda at Edge now supports Node 14.x. So this is what you can use as one of the runtimes to develop your AWS Lambda at Edge code. This is in addition to the currently supported Node.js 10.x and 12.x runtimes. Now 14.x is the current long-term support version of Node. It uses the new V8 8.1 engine it adds a whole lot of new capabilities such as Nullish Coalescing, the question question mark operator. <laughs> Nikki, have you played much with the Nullish Coalescing capability? It exists in other languages. So yes, I I love the Nullish Coalescing operator. It's very I handy. I have never played with the Nullish Coalescing It's just basically like, if like this is null, be really cool. do this instead. So you can write like, let, you know, my variable equals this. And then if it's null, you can provide another value to it or a default value. But are we saying that it's null or are we saying that it's null-ish? It's kind of null, but it's not quite null. <laughs> so if it is null, here's what you would like it to do. Otherwise, uh, stick so, with it. So is it like a null-if rather than null-ish? Yeah, a null-ish <laughs> is like a weird name for it. I don't know where that's coming from, but it's kind of like a null-if, yeah. Today I learned. There you go. <laughs> AWS SAM CLI now supports AWS CDK applications in public preview. Now, if you haven't used the AWS SAM CLI, it's a developer tool that makes it easy to build locally test package and deploy serverless applications, which happens to be my favorite uh, type of application these days. <laughs> and you can now integrate it with the CDK capability, which is a great way to build, according to all my hard Edit developer type folks. I'm stoked on and that finally, one. Finally, AWS. Dis sorry, sorry, what was that? I'm stoked on that one. <laughs> it's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> AWS Distro for OpenTelemetry now has support for AWS managed Lambda layers and other features. So now you have support for the AWS managed Lambda layer in Java, Node.js, and Python, providing a simple getting started experience for customers to add the OpenTelemetry SDK and collector to their AWS Lambda functions for collecting trace data. In addition, it is added support for AWS Systems Manager Agent, enabling customers to update, manage, and configure the collector in an EC2 instance, an on-premises server, or a virtual machine. And as part of this release, Zipkin and Jaeger receivers are also integrated as well. Lots of cool stuff there. Awesome. Moving on to the topic of cost management, AWS Cost Categories has introduced a details page. So Cost Categories is a feature within AWS Cost Management product suite that enables you to group your cost and usage information into meaningful categories for your organization's unique needs. Through this new details page available in Cost Categories, you can now see an overview of your cost allocations within your cost categories. Previously, you had to launch Cost Explorer to view costs associated with your cost categories, but now with this new page, you can see a graphical overview, absolute amounts and percent breakdowns of your cost allocation across your cost category values along with uncategorized costs. That's a quick update for those that manage costs. And then moving on to the topic of customer engagement, Amazon Connect has reduced rates in Latin America as well as three countries in Europe. So they, let's see, they reduced telephony rates in Costa Rica, Panama, and El Salvador, the U.S. East and U.S. West regions, and then they've also reduced rates in three countries in Europe, Cyprus, Belgium, and Portugal, starting April 1st, I guess those rates have been decreased. That's pretty awesome. We love, we love our rate decrease. Definitely. Moving on to the topic of database, you can now get faster database failover with the Amazon Web Services JDBC driver for PostgreSQL now in preview. 
Now, this open source driver allows applications connecting to Amazon Aurora PostgreSQL to minimize failover over time by closely monitoring the database cluster status. Now, this is based on the official community JDBC driver, and it's drop-in compatible with the latest versions, so you can drop it in, and uh, there'll be support for more programming languages coming soon. This will be really interesting. This particular driver uses the BSD2 clause license. Amazon Aurora PostgreSQL has also provided patches for versions 1.92, 2.72, 3.4.2, and 4.0.2 for your updating needs. Now, a tool that I really like using is now available for CloudFormation. NoSQL Workbench for Amazon DynamoDB now supports AWS CloudFormation, so you can manage and modify DynamoDB data models with CloudFormation templates head explodes. Um, if you haven't used the workbench, it's such a much better way to manage your data sets and uh, model data for using NoSQL databases like DynamoDB. And finally, Amazon RDS on VMware networking is now simplified and more secure. You are no longer required to use a virtual private network tunnel back to AWS. And they have moved to HTTPS, so it simplifies the preparation that's needed on your network to be able to use Amazon RDS managed database service in your VMware vSphere clusters on premises. And now, for the best time during this podcast, I get to do the yeah, dev tools. Your favorite time to shine. Moving on to the dev tools topic, the uh, CDK has announced version two as well as the Go CDK in Dev Preview. So, version two of the CDK is now available in Dev Preview and it offers two brand new capabilities for CDK users. The first is that all CDK versions now support Go, which expands the number of programming languages that we can use to define infrastructure as code and provision through CloudFormation. And the second is that all stable constructs from the construct library are now available in a single separate package, making it easier for you to use the CDK and stay up to date with new versions as they evolve going forward. So really awesome. They consolidate the construct library into a single package called AWS CDK lib, which eliminates the need to download individual packages for each AWS service used. Wow, that's so nice. Uh, if you write your own CDK constructs, you only need to take a minimum dependency on this single package and let library consumers choose which exact CDK version to use. In addition, this V2 only includes stable APIs, which comply with Semver, so you can confidently update to new minor versions. Going forward, all experimental modules will be distributed separately from AWS CDK lib and version clearly to indicate their pre-release status. Wow, this is awesome. Love that update. Uh, it's a big deal for uh, no headaches in upgrading. Yeah, huge deal. Um, love the announcement also to add Go as uh, another way that you can write the CDK. So now that would be Go, Python, and TypeScript that you can write CDK in, all three, which is awesome. Moving on, AWS Code Deploy has improved support for EC2 deployments with auto-scaling groups. Uh, so they've improved their support by automatically detecting and updating EC2 instances that have outdated software revisions. After a deployment, Code Deploy checks for outdated instances and creates a new deployment to bring the fleet to the intended revision of the software. Also, new instances are added to the auto-scaling group, and Code Deploy checks that the updated revision is installed. So nice little simple update that probably adds a ton of value for a lot of people. There is now available credential profile support for AWS SSO and assume role with MFA in the AWS toolkit for Visual Studio. So with this new release of the toolkit for Visual Studio, customers can use federated credentials 
MFA and AWS single sign-on to connect their IDEs to AWS. So using SSO, your organization's users can sign into Active Directory, a built-in SSO directory, or another external identity provider connected to SSO and get mapped to an AWS IAM role. Regardless of which identity provider that you use, SSO abstracts those distinctions away and they all work with the toolkit for Visual Studio. That's really awesome when it comes to authentication and identity management. And lastly for this topic, Cloud9 now supports Amazon Linux 2 environments. So you can now launch Cloud9 development environments with AL2. AL2 is the next generation of Amazon Linux coming from AWS and it provides a secure, stable, and high-performant execution environment to develop and run cloud enterprise applications. Moving on to the topic of the Internet of Things, and we're happy to announce support for linear interpolation in AWS IoT SiteWise. This lets customers estimate and retrieve the values of missing data points in their time series data. And if you've ever collected time series data from uh, somewhat connected devices, you'll know that this is a common problem, so this makes your life a lot easier. Moving on to the topic of machine learning. We're happy to announce the open source robotics projects for AWS Deep Racer. Now, as you might recall, AWS Deep Racer offers an autonomous 118th scale race car driven by reinforcement learning models, a cloud-based 3D racing simulator, and a global racing league. There are, have been over 85,000 developers who have participated in both virtual and in-person leagues, and it is one of the most popular developer programs to ramp up on reinforcement learning. Now, people wanted to go beyond this and find new uses for the physical car. And to enable developers to prototype robotics application with the AWS Deep Racer hardware, we are open sourcing the device software running the car and offering six sample projects on the AWS Deep Racer open source page to get started. So you can do all kinds of things. And I love that the example the team has given us is mounting a Nerf cannon on your Deep Racer using the Deep Blaster project. <laughs> so uh, I can, I'm, I'm guessing they've already built a few of those in the office as well. That's literally amazing. I need to see that. Moving on, Amazon Kendra has launched dynamic relevance tuning. Uh, so Kendra, as a reminder, is an intelligent search service powered by machine learning that enables organizations to provide relevant information to customers and employees when they need it. And Kendra is now giving AWS customers more control when it comes to optimizing search results for end users with the release of dynamic relevance tuning. In addition to improved accuracy that's provided out of the box through incremental learning and the ability to boost specific data sources, content, or documents via relevance, tuning at the index level, customers can now optimize search results at query time based on user or application context using dynamic relevance tuning. For example, at an IT organization, an engineer might prefer to see results boosted by data sources like internal wikis or Atlassian Confluence, whereas an HR employee might prefer to see search results boosted by more relevant data sources such as SharePoint and internal websites that contain documents like employee policies and guidelines. That one's actually kind of cool. So they can tailor the it's results. It's really nifty. Yeah. It's really nifty, isn't it? They can uh, tailor Very the powerful. results to you, but essentially, is, and that's how you can use dynamic relevance tuning. Nice. Amazon Translate increases the size limit of parallel data from one gig to five gig. So this allows you to process the parallel data that's used in Active Custom Translation or ACT, which is a feature that gives you more control of your machine translation output. So very nice capacity increase there. And you can now also get your estimated runtime for forecast creation jobs while using Amazon Forecast. 
would it be trite of me to say you can now get a forecast on how long your forecast is going to take? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's basically it. Because, you know, the, the visibility of the time that a workflow may take can be especially useful for manually running your forecast workloads during the process of experimentation. So knowing how long each workflow will take gives you the choice to shift your focus to other tasks and come back later to the forecast journey. Additionally, the displayed estimated time to complete a workflow refreshes automatically which gives you better expectations and removes further frustration, i.e. you know how long that coffee break is going to be. They really should have titled that update. Uh, like you said, it's definitely hilarious. <laughs> Yo, I put a forecast in your forecast. <laughs> uh, moving on to the topic of management and governments, AWS Proton has added an API to cancel deployments. So now features a cancellation API to manage your deployments in real time. You can use the cancel deployment API to stop the deployment of a service and try again if it's taking too long or has an error. So that's another... Being, de- being developers that never make mistakes, you and I would never take advantage of that API, but it's nice to know No, it's you would never need to use a cancellation API for any reason. <laughs> that would never no. happen. Uh, AWS Proton has a couple more announcements here. They were busy at work. They've also introduced customer-managed environments, so they allow customers to import their existing shared resources as customer-managed environments. They can now create environments in Proton by providing an infrastructure-as-code template that AWS Proton will provision, or by linking to their existing provisioned resources, which allows customers to start incorporating Proton in their existing infrastructure without having to recreate the shared resources. So that one's for convenience. And then lastly, Proton has allowed adding and removing instances from an existing service. So they now allow you to add and remove instances from your services. Developers can now dynamically update their services as their deployment needs change. For instance, they can add a new production instance if a new production environment is added without having to tear their service down. That's easy and nice. That's very nice. Very nice. Amazon CloudWatch monitoring framework for Apache is now generally available. This is a reference architecture that makes it easier for customers to set up Amazon CloudWatch dashboards to monitor Apache workloads running on AWS. Apache is one of the most popular web servers to store, process, and display website content, and this makes it much easier for you to get all the logs and the information. AWS Managed Services AMS now offers a new feature enabling customers to purchase AMS separate from infrastructure services through their preferred solution provider. So this gives you the need for flexibility in how you buy the infrastructure services and the managed services. This is really interesting for folks who are looking at commercial arrangements, et cetera, and how that works. So that's a nice update there. One that I really like is the new moving graphs for CloudWatch dashboards. So this allows you to animate your CloudWatch dashboard and more easily see the progression of health and operational performance trends over time. I think, as we all know, it's nice to see the graph going up or the graph going down, depending on your context and the situation <laughs> you're in. Um, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, we want errors down. We want performance Definitely. up type stuff. So that is now available, which is very cool. And AWS Control Tower has released, as we mentioned, a new partner program, which is called Built on Control Tower. Now, we talked about that in relation to the marketplace. Just to remind you, the new program, Built on Control Tower, gives AWS partners a framework to build custom solutions that complement AWS Control Tower capabilities. And so this framework allows you to have customized professional services offerings and software solutions for you to integrate in your environment, which is very, very nifty. AWS Service Catalog has launched a console experience for App Registry. Uh, So they now have console support for App Registry applications, and with this release, administrators can create and manage their application metadata in an easy-to-use console experience. 
App Registry is a feature of AWS Service Catalog, which is used by enterprises, system integrators, and managed service providers to organize, govern, and provision cloud resources on AWS. So now they can do it in the console. And lastly here, AWS Systems Manager now supports Amazon ECS service clusters. So AWS has now announced a new feature of AWS Systems Manager that customers can use to manage their Elastic Container service clusters. This provides IT professionals the ability to view operational data, manage compliance, and take remedial actions on their ECS clusters. Moving on to the topic of media services and a big announcement, we're really excited to introduce AWS for Media and Entertainment. This is an initiative featuring new and existing services and solutions from AWS and AWS partners built specifically for content creators, rights holders, producers, broadcasters, and distributors. And this aligns the most purpose-built capabilities of any cloud, including nine AWS services, 11 AWS solutions, dedicated AWS appliances, and more than 400 partners against five solution areas to help customers transform media and entertainment. And one of the great new things that are available is the general availability of Amazon Nimble Studio. Nimble Studio is a managed service that empowers creative studios to produce visual effects, animation, and interactive content entirely in the cloud, from storyboard sketch to final deliverable. Uh, With Nimble Studio, artists can accelerate digital content creation with virtual workstations, high-speed storage, and scalable rendering across AWS's global infrastructure footprint. It gives you a whole bunch of cool stuff, including the power of the G4DN instances, uh, ThinkBox Deadline, Amazon uh, FSX, uh, Render Farm Deployment Kit, like just a whole bunch of cool stuff. And one of the things I like about this is a friend of mine, Joel, we sat down many years ago when I started Adibus and he's intermediate and he said, it'd be great if you guys could do this. And here it is. So there you go. I did a deep dive on Nimble Studio on the lunch show. So if it's of interest to you, please definitely take a listen. Check out that episode. And finally, a quick update for Amazon Interactive Video Service. Uh, it has launched Edge Locations in India which uh, now enables streamers and viewers based in India to enjoy a five to 10 second latency live video experience. Moving on to the topic of networking and content delivery, we have a new digital course called AWS Network Connectivity Options. This course introduces network connectivity concepts, describes network design patterns, and demonstrates how to apply the design patterns to common use cases. It's a 150 minute course that includes reading modules, quizzes to check your knowledge, and optional hands-on lab. And it's designed for network engineers, enterprise architects, infrastructure architects, systems engineers, and application architects. Moving on to the topic of robotics. AWS RoboMaker announces support for ROS2, Foxy, and Gazebo 11. Uh, So these are now available in the environment. ROS2 Foxy is the most secure and reliable ROS distribution to date for production robotics application development. And now users can build, test, and deploy robotics applications using ROS2 Foxy, in addition to the ROS Melodic distribution. I want to know how they named it. And it's all pre-installed in your environment when you start up and running. And there's also a new developer desktop feature in AWS RoboMaker's IDE. This is a new feature that enables developers to open a desktop session to the IDE and run a GUI tool to interact with simulations. Uh, which is really nice. Now, AWS RoboMaker IDE provides a cloud robotics workspace that is pre-configured with the essential tools to start building and testing robot applications without needing to provision additional hardware. This feature provides a single space for developers to get started with building and simulating robotics applications. Awesome. Moving on to the topic of satellite, AWS Ground Station, yes, I said Ground Station, now supports data delivery to Amazon S3, which is really awesome. So... Basically, you have a lot more choices in how to capture your satellite data, and you can 
basically stream the satellite data to EC2 for real-time processing, or you can directly store it in S3, which is just so cool to know that there's probably... Yeah, this is a really nice change because originally at launch, it, it always had to go through EC2 to get to S3. Now it can just go direct. So again, it's uh, much Just simpler. knowing that there is satellite data or space data stored in S3 is just like making me excited right now. Like, Well, it's pretty cool that we're you know, in, the, in sort of nearly the same breath, we're talking about robots and satellites. <laughs> so uh, you, know, you can do some pretty cool things if you're an AWS user. You've got access to some cool For stuff. Real. Moving on to the topic of security, identity, and compliance. AWS Systems Manager OpCenter and Explorer now integrates with AWS Security Hub for diagnosis and remediation of security findings. So it brings those two capabilities together to make things faster and easier. And AWS Secrets Manager now delivers a provider for Kubernetes Secret Store CSI driver. And I'm very impressed that I said that. Uh, quickly. Uh, this is a plugin for the industry standard Kubernetes secret store CSI driver, and it enables applications running in Kubernetes pods to retrieve secrets from AWS Secrets Manager easily without the need for custom code. Once installed, ASCP ensures your applications always receive the most recent version of your secrets as these are rotated. And that's the hard part. It's the rotation that gets you. So as a result, you automatically benefit from rotation and lifecycle management features that Secrets Manager provides without coding effort, which is my favorite kind of coding. And AWS, <laughs> AWS Audit Manager now offers a new standard framework for GXP EU Annex 11. This adds to the existing pre-built frameworks that are provided by Audit Manager. This will map your AWS resources to the requirements in GXP EU Annex 11 and start gathering evidence automatically to help you scale your audit capability in the cloud as your business grows. Nice. Moving on to the topic of solutions, there is a new AWS Solutions implementation called AWS Blueprints. So AWS Solutions implementations help you solve common problems and then, of course, build faster on AWS. And AWS Blueprints, in particular, helps AWS distributors and AWS solution providers deploy, manage, and monitor solutions for their small and medium business customers in the cloud. The solution deploys repeatable, scalable AWS service catalog portfolios, including a mix of AWS services and third-party applications. Lastly, here in this topic, the performance dashboard on AWS has been introduced. It is also a new open source AWS solutions implementation. Um, and this one, using CloudFormation templates, you can automatically provision cloud resources to spin up your solution. Data sources may be directly integrated using a standard API for automatic recurring collections or uploaded manually through the performance dashboard on the AWS user interface. Once the data is integrated, the solution enables users to build dashboards with custom text formatting and data visualizations to deliver key performance metrics for core local services like police, fire rescue, water resources, waste collection, as well as for large-scale initiatives such as digital transformation strategies or pandemic response efforts. Wow, that one's appropriate. Very nifty. Moving on to the topic of storage, the AWS Snow family now enables you to order, track, and manage long-term pricing snow jobs. So this means you can now uh, deploy your Snowball Edge devices for one or more years. Now, by paying the device fees up front, Snowball Edge's long-term pricing options let you use the Snowball Edge devices for one year or three years at up to a 62% discount compared to the on-demand per-day fees. This pricing is available for all Snowball Edge device types in all regions where Snowball Edge is available. Amazon FSx File Gateway now delivers faster and more efficient on-premises access to fully managed file storage in the cloud. So the AWS Storage Gateway now has a new gateway type. 
the Amazon FSX File Gateway. And this allows you to take advantage of fully managed cloud file storage, but have low latency for your users and applications. So basically it extends your Amazon FSX for Windows File Server into your existing on-premises environment, which is nice and nifty. And a couple of new digital courses, Amazon S3 Performance Optimization. This is a free digital course, an advanced 60-minute course explores tools and techniques you can use to optimize your Amazon S3 performance. This is designed for cloud architects, storage architects, developers, and operational engineers, and includes interactive lessons and a quiz to check your knowledge do this course. <laughs> Knowing how to use S3 well can make your application absolutely fly. And the other new digital course that's available is the Amazon Elastic Block Store Primer. This is a 150-minute digital course. It's free and it gives you an overview of EBS and explores how to balance cost and performance using different volume types. And again, cloud architects, storage architects and operations engineers is who it is aimed at. And that's it. We've done lots of updates today, Nikki. Uh, how do people get in touch with yeah, you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is knee23. That's like your knee and a key 23. I'd love to hear your feedback on the update show or the launch show now because I've been doing several of them lately. That's right. Nikki's, Nikki's running that launch show series uh, on an ongoing basis and uh, some great episodes coming out there. Gives you gives you the opportunity to dive a little deeper with the folks that built the services. Definitely. It's been fun. Excellent. And we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do that. You can also leave us audio feedback as well, direct from our webpage, link in the show notes. And of course, until next time, keep on building.